Welcome to the show, How Did They Get There? I'm your host, Sean Pence, and today I'm really excited to be talking to my guest, Tito Montiel. And, um, you know, I think the first time I got exposed to his work was really through A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, the film adaptation, which he, you know, directed and wrote. And he also adapted it from the novel that he wrote. So, but what I like about the book is that it feels like a collage or a montage of these you know, different fragments taken from the experiences that he had, and you're almost living vicariously through them as you're reading the book. But then it's also grounded by this, you know, I I don't know if you would say this is linear or nonlinear, but his narrative. Um, and so you have this, this juxtaposition, if I can use that word without sounding too pretentious about, you know, of these opposing forces, and that's kind of the yin and yang of why, um, why the book is so powerful. And you kind of see firsthand, or I guess read in the book about his relationships with, you know, with his friends and um, they're really his brothers and kind of like the shenanigans that they got into growing up. And like it talks about a lot of things, man, Um, boxing and just being an immigrant or being the, you know, the progeny of immigrants in New York City and, and Queens and a lot about the New York hardcore scene, which he was definitely part of with his band, Gutter Boy, you know, like going to CBGBs and and playing and and not coming home till like three or four in the morning and then whatever, like dealing with these other other things, odd jobs, different characters. It's great. Bruce Weber was very involved. He had this manager, Bob Seaman, who's an interesting character. Woody Allen makes an appearance. I don't think directly, but he references him. And when he's talking about life and art and what does it mean to be perfect and, you know, why does film try to paint a certain picture of of what life is, you know, opening and and going on the road with bands like Stray Cats and Chris Isaac and San Francisco and and then also the influence of music like The Wanderer by Dion and um, I guess how he he started in film, really. Maybe it's the kernels of that. Um, you know, I guess that was before the film, but still, you kind of see what was his mindset through the aftermath of all these experiences heading into the film. So we talked about that and kind of how he harnessed his approach as a writer first and then as a director, you know, really through the Sundance Institute and uh, like the mentors that kind of saw his thing and um, indefinitely invested themselves, you know into kind of helping him reach his, his path and, and where he was going, whatever whatever that means, right? Seems kind of very like naturalistic and, you know, almost like very spontaneous and, and to the mo- to the moment. I think you need that. So Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, that was the film with you know, Shia LaBeouf and Robert Downey playing the young and um, adult versions of him, respectively. Melanie Diaz and Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, he's worked with a lot. He worked with them on his next film, Fighting, with Terrence Howard, and also Son of No One. Uh, and that was with, you know, Al Pacino and Ray Liotta. They were both in that, which is wild. Um, we talked about that, about working with both of those guys, his approach to working with actors in general. Talked a lot about Empire State, you know, with Dwayne Johnson that he directed, and Michael Angarano. And we also talked about Robin Williams. Uh, you know, he directed... Uh, Boulevard, that was his last film, and the experience working with him on that. So I think the plan next, I believe, I mean, he's been developing these two projects, Riff Raff and After Exile. You know, one of them is, I think, Dustin Hoffman is in talks for that, and the other one 
I think Robert De Niro is in talks for that. So, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and we talked about the day that we're living in now, social media. I think Chipotle was mentioned, but mostly about the older days. Let's face it, things were better back then. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I'm on yeah, yeah. Facebook, whatever. You know. Oh, I'm not on. I'm not on that. Oh, you're not anything. <laughs> How do you? Probably better. Are you into social media? And stuff? I mean, you know, in in the way that in the new world that we live in. Well, you know, I think it's kind of fun and mm-hmm. dumb. You yeah. know, so yeah. maybe it works in that sense. You know, it's yeah. It's to keep in touch with uh, friends and stuff. Or? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I was I was talking to a friend of mine today, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, it's I, I well. This goes into a whole other. Okay. Uh, we're just saying. Uh, well, well, I, n- I you know this is no breakthrough <laughs> in anything, but I was like, you know, it's so strange because well, my friend had had this. He's he's as you get older, yeah. what's really weird is he starts thinking you become invisible to people. <laughs> okay. They're completely and utterly uninterested. Yeah. And he said he went to he goes I went to a Chipotle the other day. Yeah. And you know I get a burrito and the guy's like. Uh, you know, he, he says, you know, just bean and cheese. And the yeah. guy's like, you don't want meat? And he's like, no. He's like, okay. Uh-huh. He goes, I get it. There's no one else in the place. I took one step and I took a bite and there's meat. And I go, oh, excuse me. And the guy's like, can I help you? Yeah. And he goes, you don't remember me? <laughs> and the guy's like, can I help you? And he's like, remember, I, I wanted the bean and cheese burrito. And he goes, do you want meat? And he's like, that's what it happened. We just become invisible. Are you and sure I was that like, guy wasn't on something? Maybe like an LSD trip that <laughs> it's very w- possible. didn't wear off? We were in Build-A-Bear yesterday and the whole oh, place man. reeked of pot. So it's, <laughs> anything is possible. Yeah. That's to be expected. Build-A-Bear. <laughs> yeah. Build-A-Bear. Did you ever think that you'd ever go into one of those stores in your life? Yeah, no, I'm kind of corny. So yeah. I, I always... And interested in any goofy thing, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I was happily surprised that it reeked of pot. Yeah. Do you um, heavily? Do you like coming here? Because you grew up here. Yeah, yeah, in Queens. But, yeah. I, but do you like? Uh, does it kind of bring stuff back that you wanted to kind of leave, or do you do you kind of like like reminiscing about things and being kind of nostalgic? I'm probably driving everybody I'm with right now crazy because I can't help because I you know like I know everybody. I don't complain about it. I'm uh-huh. fine. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, my father grew. He's from Nicaragua, and yeah. he grew up here uh, in Harlem. Yeah. And he would. He's much older. He was 50 when I was born. So we're talking wow. about another world. Mm. And he would talk about how uh, the carts would pull vegetables on the street, mm. uh, horses. Oh wow. And the horses would die. And they would be on the streets for weeks. And him and his friends used to have competitions. Who could pull the dead horse the furthest? <laughs> so if you're worrying about things changing, <laughs> yeah, it may, you know, they, they do change. But so. music, music was better, right? I, I, mean, I, I, think, I think so, but yeah. I'm supposed to think so. No, right? but I think yeah. so. I think so, too. You're older than me. I, mean, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I feel like a lot of those acts are still kind of like going on the road. They're still touring, right? You know, yeah. Oh, for sure. The I have Stones a lot of will never stop. No, yeah, and you know what's even in, you know I grew up in like in the, like really into New York hardcore, especially yeah. you know it was in that scene downtown, and yeah. a, a lot of those bands are still touring, and like Black Flag and stuff. well, that was L.A. They yeah. were much bigger. I'm yeah. talking about like really small. Well, okay. Cro Mags got kind of big, oh, yeah. but uh, Murphy's Law, who Jimmy yeah. is a friend, we went to you know junior high school together. Oh wow! And they're still touring in a van. Yeah, and still and you know Man. I, I I guess you used to really love it. And so, you know, so and lo- you got to love each other too, right? 
Yeah. That, that seems like the hardest part. It's a tough, it's a tough life, I think, you know, because, you know, you hear the Rolling Stones complaining and you know, mm-hmm. they're flying really yeah, nicely. Really nice, yeah. He's in the van still, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, but you know, there's, there's something to be said that, you know, like a love of the craft, love of the craft. And yeah. I think it just becomes part of you, you know, I, yeah. I'm working on a documentary right now about this band called Reagan youth that were around oh, yeah, yeah. back in the yeah, day. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of didn't really think that it was going to be an interesting story. And uh, I just sort of, a friend of mine is putting out their old music. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, their story is just bananas. Yeah. Uh, it's got so many tentacles. It's didn't you tour Didn't you tour with them? No, well, they were around when, when you were around. Yeah, right? and they were yeah. even before me. I yeah. mean, they, they were one of the first New York hardcore bands. They're yeah. from Queens as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we're talking about at that time a very tiny scene you know very yeah. tiny at, it was a club called the a7 on heavenly uh-huh. way and and they uh the short they were such a political band mm. it's remarkable how much their politics have to do with today oh wow and and really th- like their singer was a guy named dave insurgent uh-huh. and, uh, yeah and their their lyrics were you know they're it's difficult because they they if you just took the lyrics face right. value yeah. you might have the wrong impression of them uh-huh. uh, but they were really he was the smartest teenager in the room by far wow and he ended up uh getting beaten up really bad he got jumped and they he got brain damage from it oh my god and he had to get back then we're talking about early 80s they mm-hmm. gave him a frontal lobotomy which wow i didn't know there was i thought that was yeah. a 50s thing like a kennedy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and and he ended up um, then he he became a full blown junkie. I mean, the mm-hmm. story is just crazy. And his girlfriend got killed by the serial killer Joel Rifkin. Oh she was a God. hooker, and she's the last one that picked. And he helped them catch him because he got the license plate. It's a whole oh, wow. story. And then his father killed his mother that week, and then he committed suicide. Oh my God! So the only person I'm dealing with is this guy Paul. Yeah. Paul uh, Cripple. <laughs> Paul oh my Cripple. God! And he's like a pirate roaming around New York, yeah. like a leftover character, and he's just remarkable and, and sweet person and. And it's just taking taking me down a wormhole that yeah. is, I mean, he still lives in one of the last squats in New York, which I didn't know there was still squats here. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. It's like between C and B and C. Uh-huh. In Queens? No, in, in uh, downtown. Okay. Uh, like 6th Street between Avenue B and C. Oh, it's wow. been a squat since back in the day. Uh-huh. I remember it was called C Squat when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but he's living in it. And wow. it's you walk into it and I'm like, my God, it's like a museum because it's been a squat yeah. for over 50 years now. Yeah. And all the people over the years are so many artists end up in that world. Oh yeah. It's like, it it's feels like, like you're archive. in a Basquiat mm. museum. And I'm like, someone's going to buy this place one of these days. I get yeah. the chills thinking about it and just Smithsonian turn it into and, and, it'll and then gentrify it. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah. They'll be selling t-shirts and you'll yeah. be out of here. Is yeah. this your, this is your first doc? Uh, you know, I, I oversaw one called Rubble Kings, mm-hmm. which which I, I came in late in the game on it. But this right. guy had had contacted me on Facebook and oh, he was wow. doing a documentary about, you know, the Warriors, the movie. Yeah. 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 Well, it was based on a true story vaguely, uh-huh. yeah. which I had no idea. And everyone my age grew up loving the Warriors, yeah. you know, and uh, and I was like, what? And, and he went and interviewed all these old <laughs> gang guys wow. from the Bronx that is still hanging in and you know their names were like Karate Charlie <laughs> you know yeah. you don't you don't meet people like this anymore and I so I sort of worked on that a bit I didn't direct it just produced it yeah and uh and it was just another fun old New York it feels like you're catching these last of a what's that guy's name that guy also he was involved with the driver uh movie the, the, that the documentary that. yeah Nicholson. Shan Nicholson yeah, yeah, yeah great guy yeah he lives in Queens he's a DJ 
Oh man. And he's, he's just all doc. He's all docs all day. Yeah. You know, which is a heavy load burden. I'm learning to take on, you know, yeah. because they go where they want to go, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, so it's like, it's kind of like, like being, a, being a roadie or something in the band. Yeah. You know, you could think, I mean, and I'm sure there are documentaries that you plan out, yeah. but, um, like I know, I don't know if you ever saw capturing the Freedmans. Oh, crazy. Really? <laughs> it's about a family that, whoa, but the, a I family know, that, whoa, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I know the sound guy who was working on it yeah. and I met him and I said, Oh my God, you did capturing the Freedmans. And he told me the backstory on it. If you saw it, if you see it, you'll, you'll okay. understand yeah. that originally the guy, the director wanted to do a documentary about clowns in New York that make a living as clowns. Oh man. And they left the microphone on one guy while they were eating lunch and he's telling the story of his family. And he goes, I didn't feel like it was very ethical, but I went over to the director and I said, I know you want to make this about clowns, but you might want to listen to what they were talking about at lunch. Uh oh. And then when you watch Capturing the Freedmans, his you family that with out. the Freedmans and whoa, their family is <laughs> heavy heavy business i don't like clowns at all man well this might not <laughs> help that case yeah nuts Wait, would you say like because like you said like you grew up in a story here yeah. would you say that uh mr frank and the accordion okay that was your first exposure to music right would you say like yes for me yeah unfortunately yeah. you took lessons with that guy I, yeah, well, okay. Wait, why do you say unfortunately oh, no no I, well no i mean that jokingly okay. i mean my i didn't grow up in a musical house uh mm -hmm. my father uh did not like it, it sounds like comedic but he really didn't like didn't music. know who elvis was like oh yeah like if you said to him elvis presley he would go ah you know yeah very old school uh -huh. and uh pre-rock yeah, and roll yeah pre-rock and roll and he comes from a, a you know immigrant immigrant come to america from nicaragua I, yeah yeah he liked uh, the halls of montezuma for some reason that song okay. and he liked my wild irish rose because my mother mm. was irish from brooklyn and oh, wow. that was the extent of his musical likeness and but he insisted i play the accordion yeah which was torture he insisted insisted I why i don't know i think just he work out values yeah you know it, mm -hmm. it's funny because it, it turns out to be a big part of my life you know and he used to fix typewriter he was a typewriter mechanic which oh, wow. at this point is like being a blacksmith you know mm -hmm. like kind of obsolete yeah it's it's totally way obsolete. gone yeah, you know yeah. unless you're a super hipster you know he yeah. could he could be a extreme hipster yeah, at the yeah. same time like esoteric, but yeah he used to uh fix all the typewriters at the pawn shops uh -huh. up in harlem wow uh, along 125th street this okay. place called maxi's uh-huh so he would go from pawn shop because people would steal typewriters a lot for some reason oh, yeah. and sell them to pawn shops and huh. they'd all be broken. So yeah. that's how he would make money. And he'd oh, go wow. from pawn shop to fixing typewriters and he'd stick me in front of the pawn shop Maxis, which mm -hmm. was on 125th and Lennox okay. when I was like five or yeah. six and I'd play the accordion outside wow. for money. And my friend Antonio would dance the Tarantella. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. Like, dun, 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 yeah, and, yeah. And we'd be there all day. We were like, you know, two monkeys. Yeah. And, and we'd make some money. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, with the case open and with everything? With the case open. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I imagine it looked like a pretty good novelty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. two little white kids on the street, 125th Street in the 70s, yeah. uh, playing the accordion, uh, one's dancing. But we were there always in... Yeah. It was a, a, a nice memory. You know, yeah, me. closest, to, closest to friends. I mean, I feel like... Um, because I had kind of like a tight group of friends when I was really young. Yeah. But then um, we just kind of went like different directions, I guess. And sure. I haven't, I mean, I haven't talked to some of those guys in probably like 15, 20 years, maybe right. even more than that. It's so like with you and uh, your tight group of friends, yeah. I, mean, I think you call them like your blood brothers. Like, <laughs> um, was it kind of like, why do you think that, why do you think that happens? Like, why do you think you're so tight? And then just you kind of not, don't stay that tight anymore. 
Like, what do you think happened? Well, time is a strange yeah. thing, right? Time and distance, nothing like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, oh, I, you know, from, it's, it's odd. My, my parents were much older when mm-hmm. I was born. I yeah. have three sisters, but they were all out of the house. They were okay. 25, 24, and 22 years older than me. Oh, wow. So I was born an uncle. So you're uh, an only child, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and my father was 50 when I was born. My mother was 49, 48, <laughs> which very yeah. odd at that time in particular. Now huh. it might not seem as weird. Yeah. But uh, so for me, friends were very much like family because <laughs> I just clung to friendships. I yeah. still am like that, you know. <laughs> so uh, um, I was maybe more close to my friends than uh, some people could be. I mean, everybody yeah. has their childhood friends, you know. Yeah. So. I guess you're growing up together, too. Like you're getting in all these like... I remember in the book, mm-hmm. you talk about like uh, coming to Manhattan and um, just having these food fights with each other, just like with like leftover room service stuff outside the doors, the right? Plaza. We would go yeah. into the plaza and the Penta Hotel. Yeah. And, and the Marriott, when it first got built, was a big one because it had the round see-through elevators. Oh, wow. And I have crazy memory for things, but this could be wrong. I think mm-hmm. it was the 36th floor back then. You could go and they had, see, we used to look for the, I guess concierge rooms uh-huh. or something like yeah. that. So, and how they allowed six lunatic kids <laughs> to sneak in, I don't know. There yeah. was a, clearly not enough security. But we, we had figured out in each of those hotels where there were rooms that they would leave you alone in. Mm-hmm. So we'd go and collect all the food that people would leave out. You know, they'd yeah. order room service, I yeah. guess. Now yeah. I understand it a little better than I did then. Yeah. I didn't quite understand why there was food at a room <laughs> store. Yeah. Not everyone, but we, oh, there's something there. We yeah. would just collect the food. Yeah bring it to this room and watch MTV because they had a TV, which, you know, oh, at wow. that time, MTV wasn't even in Queens. Yeah. Certainly not. We didn't have cable. So uh-huh. that was pretty fancy. We'd go and steal food. I guess it's stealing. Yeah. Hang out in the rooms and uh, Man, there's watch nothing MTV. Like that. Life but still, good. But you <laughs> still, would you say you still prefer like hanging out in Astoria in Queens? Yeah, you know, it, it, you're a ho- I'm a homing pigeon in ways, yeah. you know, and uh-huh. uh, I, I, it's weird because... Um, I never didn't like where I was from. I mm-hmm. loved it. You know, yeah. I have friends that hated it. I I loved it as complicated as it was. Yeah. Uh, but but Manhattan was always this oh god other place I, just incredible mm-hmm. to me. Like I I in in awe of it. You know, I still am. I yeah. will, I'm driving my wife and daughter crazy right now. I'm walking. <laughs> uh, I can just walk forever. Uh-huh. And uh, I had this vision when I was very young that Manhattan was the place like I just knew there was something special there yeah so um I used to love we going way back <laughs> we'd go to I I would things that make no sense now you yeah. know when we would go uh, we were very young then you know yeah. going I mean I'm talking young like mm-hmm. my daughter's age maybe 12 wow and we'd go to Central Park and I would say okay there'd be like 15 of us and I'd be like okay let's play tag and you can go anywhere in the park wow. which not understanding how big this park can be you know? yeah. and then of course we'd run yeah. and we'd lose each other and whichever friend I was with yeah. well we'd spend the day together and it was to me just mad. and then as I got into being a teenager uh, St. Mark's Place mm-hmm. changed my whole belief I just in what way oh um I can't think of anything more influential in my weird life uh, than um, than finding the world of downtown, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bus, uh, like a blessing, you know. Uh, it, it's uh, you get very nostalgic as yeah. you get older. I, I like I said, I, I'm a homing pigeon, and I still find myself going to these places. Yeah, I, I always go straight to St. Mark's Place, and I walk mm. down to Avenue A as if I'm going to see something, but wow. it's, it, it's not there, you know, and. 
I, I have my own little things. I'll notice, oh, it still says Club 57 on oh, top man. of that doorway. Mm-hmm. Or there used to be a thing called the Yipster House wow. on Bleecker. Till not that long. Well, maybe long. Yeah. But uh, it was where, do you know what the Yipsters were? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, like the, 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 the maybe slightly more dangerous hippies, you know. Uh-huh. But there was, there was still left over in the early hardcore days. Yeah. Uh, and they had a place called the Yipster Times where they had a magazine called the Yipster Times, which was oh, wow. just revolutionary. <laughs> oh, oh, they would be left to the left to the left of even today's world, you know. Oh, man. And they all lived in this place on Bleecker. Uh, it was called the Yipster. Yeah. We used to call it the Yipster House. And they uh-huh. ran a thing called Rock Against Racism. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm just going off on a tangent. That oh, was, and, and, it, and it was just an incredible little place that was just so weird. I just yeah. remember it reeked. And we'd always argue with them because my band was, you know, uh, our, we had a manager. Yeah. We were a dumb little hardcore band called Major Conflict. Uh-huh. Uh, I was 14 at the time, me. And, and so our, our manager, Sandy, who was just basically did dust, all, angel dust all day. And, <laughs> and she worked in a nail salon yeah. on dust, which must have been great. Oh, man. And she walked in one time. And my, my best memory is they'd never let us play rock and racism. And I wanted to always play. Why played, not? Well, well, the argument she had, which was a good argument, she goes, how many more fucking races does this band have to be? Ditto's uh, fucking Puerto Rican, which I'm not. But, you know, Ditto's fucking Puerto Rican. The drummer's black. The bass player is Chinese. He was Mongolian, yeah. Asian. But, you know, she was close. And she was and the singer's retarded. So oh, I went, went, and that was the big argument I remember her having on our behalf, which didn't uh, quite get us the gig. But, uh, but you had another uh, another manager, wasn't it? His name, like, Bob? Bob Seaman or something? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. So that's a whole, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Well, I, you know, like it, it goes, it goes into the theme of New York. Right? Yeah, is I, I, the blessing of my life mm-hmm. has been curiosity. Yeah, uh, an obsession with it, uh, and I always, when I was very little, my sister Dee Dee, who is schizophrenic and wow. very, very complicated, mm-hmm. um, she was the closest sister I had, and w- she used to bring me when I was very little into Manhattan at nighttime and mm. we'd look at buildings and I still do it at nighttime and uh, you'd, you'd look and she'd find like a light on, like a blue light or yeah. a red light, which yeah. often was the hallway or a fire uh-huh. escape. And we'd have to go to that building and count the floors and then sneak into it and find the red light or the blue wow. light. And I don't know, it sprung something in my mind that I mm. just always want to know what's there. and. Uh, Bob Seaman <laughs> leads to people like Bob Seaman. Yeah. Uh, I did all kinds of crazy jobs in New York. I, <laughs> I sold peanuts on everywhere on 42nd Street area yeah. as a teenager. Um, and I, I handed out flyers. Yeah. And, and, and you'd meet really weird people doing that, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. And I, I went to I was in high school and I, uh, I was I was in a class called um, it was called co-op at the time, which okay. they disbanded for uh-huh. a very good reason oh. because basically if you got into co-op it meant that they knew you had no future mm, so like a trade it was a trade yeah, and yeah. they would give you one week school one week work mm-hmm. which was a big blessing and mistake oh, yeah, like half 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 school right yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so and they get you a job right and and um I, I was like a foot messenger and yeah i mean all kinds of nightmarish things but i loved it because one week school one week work so yeah. i got to hang out in the city uh-huh and then, you know, you just meet weird people. And I mean, when you're, you know, what are you, 15 in high yeah. school, 16, you're hanging out all day selling nuts and stuff. Yeah. Weird people approach you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and offer you money for whatever. And I would yeah. always be like, yeah, I'll go. 
and uh, and it it, it lead, you know I've, I've it been leads. it's kind of like there was an old cartoon called Mr. Magoo, mm-hmm. and I th- thought uh, I've been lucky like him where he would walk and he could never see things and just when he'd fall off a building a plank would be there and he'd land <laughs> on it and then he would just keep walking as if he doesn't realize yeah. he. And I felt I, in, in some ways I, I lived a life like that mm-hmm. very luckily where things could have made a bad left turn. Yeah, but you didn't let it affect you. Well, you, well I guess sometimes I didn't you quite can't. know. You know, yeah. I just was so interested in, mm. well, this guy, you brought up Bob Seaman. He yeah. had a <laughs> he had an office and man, I, I try. And, you know, this is why I am on Facebook, because I try to find does anybody know who these people are? Oh, OK. And yeah. Once in a blue moon, somebody will. And I'll know they'll know by what they say. And yeah. I'll go, oh, my God, someone remembers this character, yeah. you know? And I feel like that's a little bit of, I mean, it's typically an older person that would say something like this, but it's a little bit of a lost art. Those, mm. I'm sure there's lots of strange and weirdos. So oh, yeah. actually, I'm incorrect about that. <laughs> yeah. But he had an office on 50th. There was a club called the Kit Kat Club, which uh-huh. was like a little kind of strip joint, I right. guess, or something like that. I mean, the peep, near the peep shows, but it was a strip Oof. club. And he had a office upstairs from it and he had uh he was just insane yeah. headshots everywhere he's like a talent like a pseudo talent manager guy yeah <laughs> i mean that's really giving him a lot of credit okay, okay. <laughs> and his name was bob seaman which is already kind of questionable <laughs> yeah, too much. and uh and he was just very crass yeah i kind of i kind of just believed that well mm-hmm. he must know somebody you know um, yeah because he's got an office, you know, <laughs> like, or there's a headshot in his wall. I remember. Uh, it was like Saturday Night Fever, right? Well, there, 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 was, from there that. was another guy, but yeah, th- there was a photograph of a girl on the wall and she was in Saturday Night Fever and it wasn't like John Travolta or anyone yeah. that anyone would know. Yeah, yeah. But I did know it was the girl from Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that meant, oh, oh, he, he knows somebody. Um, okay. So maybe that means I can do something uh, else. Yeah. <laughs> so. Did you ever validate that? Did he know her? Did he uh, have some I, connection? I, I, well, I don't know that knowing her was that big a deal. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I hate to say, yeah. but but yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. may have printed a headshot. It's, for it's her. questionable. Yeah, everything is questionable. But then you also uh, like speaking of like using, I guess, social media to like I don't know, keep in touch with people. But like um, Ginsburg, yeah, you were in touch with him, right? Yeah, you know, with him. He took some pic- weird, interesting Very, pictures. Yeah. Oh, Alan Ginsberg. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's 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 it sounds really um, ignorant, or mm. uh, you know, uh, and you know, I I don't mean to discard these things because they're mm-hmm. very valuable in my life. I just never understood anything anywhere I went. I just go, and whether Bob Siemens behind the door or Alan Ginsberg. Yeah, and I found them both as interesting, mm-hmm. but uh, but with him, um, he had a great quote: "Don't follow my path to exist to extinction." Oh wow. <laughs> but, uh, but he, uh, he, he uh, well, he would take pictures of people. I'm trying to remember how I met him. I can't quite remember exactly. He had an apartment on 12th Street, I uh-huh. think. Yeah. Uh, like first and second or something. And okay. uh, he actually said a really, you know, I, once in a while I stand in with a class or something like that. And they mm. ask, and I said, listen, the one quote that he said that I think is invaluable uh, to anyone that wants to be any version of in the arts, mm. whatever that may mean. Yeah. And he, he said to me, you know, he was very, uh, I'd look, I didn't know him that well. We yeah. hung out a couple of times, ate gruel, <laughs> which is, I think, intestines or something weird. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but he, he said uh, um, he had this really, really cool apartment. I mean, in a regular building, yeah. you know, and it was pretty big. And he says, oh, you know, this, this apartment is rent controlled. Mm. And I said, he goes, it lets me be a writer. Oh, wow. And I thought, 
I, I thought, what? I, I actually, in hindsight, I thought at the time it meant nothing to me, but it meant enough that I still remember him saying that off, hmm. off the cuff, as if. And I think, boy, that maybe that was a deeper thing to say than I had, you know. Why I, do you think that is? Well, you know, I think people look at art or uh, creativity. Creativity, maybe some, maybe the world has changed in that sense that mm-hmm. you think. Um, Oh, you know, uh, well, I think of like hardcore when I grew up on it or say even like hip hop at the yeah. time. I don't think people thought they were ever going to make money off. Yeah. It, right. I, I, I don't mean this. Uh, yeah. In a degrading way. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, um, anything special. Yeah. You ju- it just didn't cross your mind. Mm-hmm. So you either did it or you didn't do it, you know. And I imagine when back when he became a writer, which is. He, he did remind me that he goes, you know, the hippies, I'm before even the hippies. They <laughs> yeah. just like me because yeah. he's, he's a pretty old guy at the time. And mm. I, I imagine that people just started off doing it for the love or. Yeah. Of the craft. The craft or mm. just to do something. Right. I mean, not to like be commercialized and make tons of money. Yeah. I don't think it crossed their mind. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it, I guess. Great. If you can. Right. But yeah. but I just thought, well, he I guess what I think he meant by it. Because again, I don't think he was trying to be a guru. Yeah. I think he was just speaking off the cuff. He just said, uh, "Well, he he was happy. This place is so cheap. I can be a writer." You know? Right as you brought that up, the lights kind of got dim. You <laughs> notice that? Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so then, was you were you always kind of um, like I don't know if the band like because you were in Gutter Boy. Right. That right. I don't know like the pro- the prospect of that or the goal of that. It seems like it wasn't necessarily to make money. Right? Was it, or was it to like have the lifestyle? Like, why did you? No, you know, look, I, 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 everything for me, to be honest and blunt, it's never been a plan. I wish it was more because as I get older, I realize, wow, it would have been nice to have a plan. But it was always something to do, right? Uh I would write like everyone else on dumb little napkins at nighttime, and I thought they were brilliant. If I was on mushrooms, and the (laughs) next day it was utter nonsense, you know. And then I'd lose it all, right? Mm. And then, um, and. Music was, I just always loved to write and, and the, the, um, well, yeah, well, when I got into, I I started off in this hardcore world Mm -hmm. only because the quick on it was I was, me and my friend Ray, my friend since kindergarten, we still speak every day. Wow. He, uh, his brother had a punk magazine and I remember I would look at it Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, these people are so interesting. I was just... Was it like Talking Head or I guess more hardcore stuff? It was, prob- it was the Ramones, but okay. I, I only remember that there was a band called Destroy All Monsters. Mm. And I thought it was the coolest name. And they had the name written weird. And there was a girl with a shaved head. And I remember thinking, who are these people? Yeah. i got to find them, you know? Yeah. And, and, it, and we cut out of school. This is before any music. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we knew they were in Greenwich Village. But, of course, we didn't know where we were going. Yeah. Typical Queens kids. And we got <laughs> off at Canal, so we overshot. Uh-huh. Yeah. And somehow we found our way to a place called the Rat Cage, which mm. is a little crappy record store on, like, 9th and A or something like that. Yeah. And uh, he ended up putting out the first Beastie Boys 45 when they oh, were a wow. hardcore band. And then he put out their first hip-hop thing, like Cookie Puss or something, and the mm. first Bad Brains thing. He would make oh, wow. little records in there. And... Uh, and, and it was just, I just thought the place was the coolest thing I ever saw in my life. And we ran into this guy and he said, hey, you know, I'm going to start a band. You want to be in the band? Mm. And I, I didn't play anything except a really bad version of the accordion. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, uh, oh, you, you look cool. I have a guitar. You can play guitar. Mm. And literally, he lived in Queens, yeah. funny enough. So we all went to his apartment uh-huh. and they, we, they practiced in the Ravenswood Projects. They were a band called wow. Urban Waste at the time. Mm. They were. 
and he wanted to start a new band. He says, oh, this is Ditto. He's going to be the guitar player. And this is Ray. He's going to be the drummer. And he taught me how to play La Bamba on one note. You know, and that Saturday, that was like a a Saturday, a week later, we played a show at the A7 Club and we did La Bamba. And, you know, just screaming. And I couldn't believe it. It, it, and, And to me, that lesson has stuck with me forever, where it's like I had friends that were really good uh-huh. on guitar and they yeah. were practicing forever trying yeah. to figure out how to play a Led Zeppelin song or something and they never played a live show and we huh. were awful and we were playing and to me it was like oh I'd rather just make stuff and whether the lyrics are dumb little yeah just be without, expressive and it, do it, it and it changed your life because mm-hmm. you start thinking about things but right. then but then um, so I, I was in a hardcore band and we put out a little 45 yeah. that we recorded in a basement on 42nd Street called Variety yeah and our drummer at the time, not a guy, John, mm-hmm. he had a he had a nervous breakdown, and mm. they printed out a thousand records for us, and he broke five hundred. Wow! He ended up in Elmer's psychiatric. It was oh, a very man. sad story. Mm-hmm. And but I never forgot how much I loved that record. And it's not good; it's horrible. But I loved it, and yeah. I, I love making it. And then I, as I got a little bit older, eighteen or something, we started a band called Gutter Boy because I yeah. thought I was too old to play punk rock. Mm. And we tried to be serious, and we got this insane record deal uh, through through just a weird thing. And and uh, this weird bug hit me where they said, "Oh, you can be like you too." And I was like, "You too?" Mm. Like I didn't particularly love them, but uh-huh. I, I thought, "Oh my god, like I can actually do this." Yeah. It was always a way that I could do this for a living because my father, at the same time, is always saying, "Take the test to be a, like a, a train." Uh, well, a fireman would have been better, but he was obsessed with token booth clerk. And I was like, "Yo." <laughs> Uh, funny enough, even they, their job is not as secure as you thought. Uh, yeah. But and I and horrible for the guy that it happened to, but great for me. Huh. That week that I got called because uh-huh. I took the test and they called me, uh-huh. a token booth guy got burnt to death. Oh a bunch God. of kids threw lighter fluid in and burnt them. And I said, wow. see, they they, they killing those guys. <laughs> so he he was he uh, he gave his life for me. It's a, Man. But uh, but anyway, w- with the music, so I I, I I got this bug, and we made yeah. this record, and we lived this strange life for about three years that yeah. was just beautiful and and beyond my wildest dreams. But but it all fell apart. But but uh, and then I, I I look back and I say, oh man, I had so much more fun when I didn't care, and I played in this mm-hmm. hardcore band. I got bitten by a bug with that band, and I thought. I'll do. Any, I, I would do anything the record company said because I couldn't believe somebody was going to take a mm-hmm. chance on me in life. Yeah. So they said, "Oh, you should be okay. Whatever yeah. you want." Yeah. And and then when I got to make movies, I I couldn't believe I was getting another chance to do something different in life. And I said, "I'll never, I'll never fall down that hole again that I did, where I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to remember what it was like to do it yourself and make little tiny things." That if people like, they like, and then I, then inevitably, if you have a little bit of luck, yeah. you, you start getting bit by that bug again. So I, I try to remind myself how much that meant. Um, yeah. To stick to that, not not to be anything special about it, because you know, it's just always been a, ch- a chance to to do something. Yeah. It's only been the only thing I've concerned myself with. Like, oh, if I could do this now, I'll, I'll, yeah, that sounds good. You know. When did the when did the film interest start? Because I don't know you mentioned uh, in the book, mm-hmm. like there was this one day where you were waiting for your friend uh, Mike, right? Mm-hmm. And he was a taxi, he was like a cabbie. Yeah, and you were waiting for him. And then it was like um, someone from West Side Story. Oh. 
that died of AIDS. Yeah, uh, was the, his, like, he played his, Tony, I guess, yeah. on the original play. I don't think yeah. it's the movie. It's not the movie. Yeah, it was just ra- random. Uh, uh, well, th- then I was. Uh, well, we met in Midtown, yeah. so I was probably either handing out flyers mm-hmm. or selling peanuts because that's what I did. Right. Uh, in Midtown, flyers and peanuts yeah. or like freaking Frozades. <laughs> they even have those at Chipwich. What is know? that? They were like fro- frozen, oh, okay. frozen, uh, frozen uh, lemonades. Oh, I and see those all. Chipwitch were like all, sandwiches yeah. with ice cream okay. in the middle. And it was oh, hell. Pretty good. And what was great is, is like Frozades, I remember they would like, they give us a hundred cups, right? Yeah. I don't know how much they were, say three bucks, whatever. Uh-huh. So at home, when you came back at, at night to this horrible office where just so you know, those offices, when I sold nuts, they were all over the floor. We'd oh, pick man. up all the, all the floor and put them in. Oof. And, but with the Frozades, they count your cups. So if they give me a hundred of these, I came back with zero cups. They'd won 300 bucks. So I go to the store and buy 50 cups <laughs> and give it to you in those cups, you know? It's clever, yeah. Yeah, but, but anyway, so I met my, if I was in Midtown, which I do remember being, yeah. Mike uh, would drive a cab. He was great. So Such a trip. He would banish you from his cab if you read his name because he was bothered. Because, you know, some people get in and they read the, uh-huh. the name. Yeah. His name is Mike O'Shea. And they'd say, oh, Mr. O'Shea, can I go? And before they, if they just said his name, he'd go, you got to get out. Why? Because he, th- he goes, oh, you know, that's them. They're trying to intimidate me oh. and let me know they know my name. And I'd be like, listen, Mike, wow. maybe cab driving is not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he, yeah. he went to pick me up, uh, yeah. as he often did. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we would just meet and walk around. And all these people were going into a theater. I don't know if it was the Cats Theater. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. One of those famous theaters. Right. And uh, it was raining, I think. Yeah, it was probably raining. And But I used to like, I would just go in, not because I was a film yeah. or play fan at all just to go in oh well a bunch of weird people walking yeah. in i went in and they were having a a thing for the guy who played tony right uh, yeah and it's it just one of those moments in life that you just sort of stumble onto something and i just thought it, it didn't inspire me to make movies what did uh nothing i had no dream to make movies it was not part of the plan when you wrote guide you weren't like this is going to be a i'm going to adapt oh, the, or oh. make a movie inspired by this or whatever oh hell no yeah. I I, again, I, I wrote it like I wrote a- anything, mm-hmm. you know, uh, going back to the hardcore type world is a, uh, well, you dumb little, I, you know, in the, in the band, because we weren't good enough to play other people's songs, we had to mm-hmm. make our own. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I would, I was pretty good at wielding some version of a song together, you know, and it was usually be something to do with life, you know, yeah. sometimes it's meaningful, sometimes it's just goofy, you know. Um, probably more goofy than meaningful, but, but, um, and then, um, I would write on napkins, uh, like anybody else, little thoughts and my band had, had broken up at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I, for me, it was really hard because I I didn't go to college like most of my friends did. I was Mm. literally selling peanuts and then I got this crazy record deal that threw me into a whirlwind for two years where I yeah. really thought, wow, I'm never going to have to work again. I can do this forever. Mm. And then, you know, we we just lost everything. You know, like when I mean everything, you know, I had nothing to start with. So I went right back to how, zero. How did that end? Well, you know, it was it was too it's too hard to really put my head yeah. around yeah, other yeah. than we just were a band that we're not good enough to to be that successful, you mm. know, and and we had some lucky breaks and then we had some unlucky breaks, which is the way it goes, yeah. you know. Um, and, and then, but then, you know, for me, it was like a family and like, also like it had not been my dream 
but then it became my dream. Right. So sometimes that's, I don't know if it's worse or not, but like, <laughs> it's like, oh wait, I didn't think about this and you brought this to me. Yeah. And, and now I don't know who I'm talking to, but, but uh, I, I, I was utterly devastated and uh, humbled, I guess, <laughs> you know, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, like, n what do you do now? You know, like everybody goes through in your early twenties, you know, like, like, I don't think there's ever anybody that quite knows what they're going to do. But for mm -hmm. me, it was pretty drastic because I hadn't had any, I didn't go to college. I, so you're I, selling peanuts. Peanuts isn't exactly yeah. like a, a, a bridge proper to, vocation to for life. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it's kind of make you sell peanuts, you make peanuts, but, but, yeah. um, and I, I, uh, I mean, I didn't really have anywhere to live. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine, I mean, this is getting into the whole thing, but, uh, he he had just been uh he he just had been diagnosed with aids right wow uh, and this is at the time when aids was like it's still pretty bad but then it was pretty like this is like fatal. early 90s ish or this is well th yeah, yeah i mean well yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah and and he and it, you know it was pretty close to a death sentence if you want to say yeah. and he had gone to a rehab uh to get off drugs too mm -hmm. he was gay but you know yeah. a lot of things involved yep. in that and he said oh you can stay in my place and i while I go there. So I had three weeks in an apartment in New York. And I remember, and I brought in my other friend, Eddie, who was pretty bad with drugs at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, I was very lucky and drugs never too much a part of my life, yeah. you know? And, uh, oh, he was really bad. And he was a really good friend of mine. He's a super smart guy. And, uh, I remember he, he, he gave me a notebook <laughs> and he said, listen, you're always trying to write stuff. Why don't you just keep it in a book? Because if you keep it in a book, then at least it might go somewhere. Mm. And I still have that. Wow. And, and uh, he said, just start it off with something dumb, like when I was a kid. And I said, all right. And I just started writing in pen, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, it became, uh, you know, I, I got to like 10 pages and then I put pictures in too. And I thought, oh, I can cover some of the pages with pictures. Mm. And it got to 20. And then I thought, how big are books, you know? And mm. I looked and I saw, luckily, a book that was like 200 pages, not <laughs> yeah. War and Peace or something. You know? <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm a tenth of the way there. If I can get to 200, I can make a book, you know? Wow. And it, it, it was just something to distract me from maybe right. reality. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can do this. What I'm going to do with it, I don't know. And then the book, um, uh, a, a guy I used to work at Tower Records with, uh, I ended up in California because mm -hmm. I got offered, m my friend said I could live there at a music studio, and uh, I went out there, and uh, a guy that I worked at Tower Records with, David Wee May, uh, he had a little publishing company, and I said, hey, maybe you'll put this out, and I sent him the book, mm -hmm. and he kind of, he did, and, wow. oh, it's even more complicated than that, but, but the quick on it is if it sold 10 copies, I would be surprised, yeah. but Robert Downey was making a record at the studio that I was working at, Wow, and he was an Iron Man, Robert Downey yeah. at the time, and he was like Indies, right? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he yeah. Was, he, but it was a great little place that they did the play, The guy that gave me the job, they did really wild stuff there. I loved working there. They did like the music to like Leprechaun Three, you know? <laughs> wow. And TV commercials, yeah. so I would know who won the Bud Bowl and dumb things like that. <laughs> yeah. And it was a, he did a lot of like sort of hokey horror films, but uh -huh. it was really kind of just a fun place to be I worked in the dub room there yeah. and Robert would come in and out and I knew Robert just mm -hmm. from coming out always like interested weird guy sure and me and the guy in the dub room with me Jake Pushinsky who's now a big editor in film mm -hmm. neither of us had any idea about film but we would mess around with um, 
little ideas uh, on m movie magic because it was mm. a free program to edit on. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and we used to have to, you know, when the tapes come in, you know, there were three quarter inches at the time of yes. Leprechaun or, yeah. you know, nep Lipton Ice Tea for all uh -huh. I know. We'd have to make copies of it. Yeah. But we would load them into the computer. Right. And then sometimes we would mess with them and start editing a dumbbell okay. thing. Yeah. And a friend that I grew up with um, that was in prison for years and he would always call me collect over the years so mm. I had gotten him my number and he'd call me collect there and uh, uh, unscrupulous as it is uh, he, he uh, that the he'd call me collect uh, there and the receptionist who was my friend would yeah. accept it uh -huh. <laughs> and I would put a dat in uh, like a tape yeah. and, and record our conversations huh. uh, and then me and Jake would take those conversations and put them on the computer mm -hmm. and then we'd put like a piece of music to it oh yeah and then we'd start cutting it up and then we'd take pieces of leprechaun <laughs> oh wow <laughs> or whatever and start putting it to it and we started saying oh this is kind of fun you know yeah this is movie magic right yeah, yeah. It, it was yeah. and then there was he had a remember this is before phones were, yeah. were filming so yeah. he had a little camera in there that we had found that was a wind-up camera wow and I guess they used to use it for car crashes mm. and we filmed some stuff with it we put it into the computer and we started making little weird movies just in in our board time in the yeah. dub room and then I remember we made one for like a minute you know and it, I thought it was good you know I was yeah. like wow this is pretty good then huh. we got to three minutes and I was like hey man I, how long are movies yeah. you know <laughs> like a hundred minutes hey look three percent of the way yeah, to yeah, the movie yeah. and then Robert who would come in and out We'd show him the weird movies, and, mm -hmm. and he'd be like, oh, man, you should make a movie. That's really cool. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, what do you mean we should make a movie? <laughs> like, you can't say those things to me. You know, I, I take them seriously. Yeah. And then uh, Jonathan was the guy who ran our studio, and he said, oh, you know, Ditto wrote a book. You should read it. And Robert said, why don't you make a movie out of this? And in my head, it scared me because me and Jake started talking about it, and we were like, we're going to make a movie out of this thing mm. starring us. Because okay. if it's us, we don't need any money. Yeah. And who cares if it's terrible? Yeah. But then Robert said, yeah, you, sh you should make it. And, and then I thought, oh, no, we have to get, like, buy stuff now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he, he brought down uh, uh, Trudy Styler, who's married to Sting, mm -hmm. the, the singer. And she is a producer. And she had just made a movie called uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels with Guy Ritchie. It was his first oh, movie, yeah. I believe. Wasn't Sting, like, in a, a backup singer for that cherry vanilla he was her bass player yeah. she was the singer yeah yeah okay so, uh, so full circle right full circle yeah. very, very odd that that it, we all and and yeah and and Robert, do, you want more, do you want more water by the way no no i'm fine okay, I'm, okay. Fine. I'm just nursing it but uh <laughs> yeah so um robert said uh sorry i'm just going off on a crazy no tangent. this is good but robert was like uh like hey, you should make a movie you yeah. should you should you should make a movie yeah i've got a a person um you should go to lunch with, you know, uh, Trudy Styler and her husband Sting. And I'm like, Sting? Yeah. You know, I'm working in a dub room in Los yeah. Angeles, in Santa Monica. And I got to lunch with Sting and Trudy Styler. Wow. Very odd. Yeah. And Trudy's like, oh, you know, I, I looked at your book. And, and uh, I still to this day don't believe Robert ever read it. I think he was just being nice. Oh, come on, man. I, I, I mean it. I, yeah. I mean, not being humble. I mean, it's just not his thing. But he was sweet enough to take it just a weird I think we kind of liked each other and we were yeah. both weird and he's like so Trudy says oh I think we'll make a we I think I, I can get the people who wrote a movie at the time called Sexy Beast oh yeah which was a Ben Kingsley they, right Ben Kingsley yeah. yeah he's like no yeah. and uh and 
they'll adapt your book mm-hmm. and make a movie out of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So I went back to work. I called Ray, my friend since kindergarten. I told him, he's like, oh man, you better not mess this up. And I said, <laughs> I think I could write it. And he's like, no, uh. you better not. Just give them it. I said, yeah, but I want to get a shot. So then yeah. I, I met Trudy again and I said, hey, you know, maybe I can get a shot, you know. Like, I, trying to write it as a movie yeah now i I thought int at the time meant introducing which it means interior Mm. oh yeah 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 and ext i thought meant exiting yeah but it's exterior Exterior. uh so i knew nothing Mm -hmm. but uh trudy said oh well the guys wrote 60 bs they'll do it um they're not available for two months but they're going to do it then so in my mind i had two months right okay so two months i got to figure this out quick Mm -hmm. so i was listening to her and robert talking at lunch and she said she loved a script called United States of Leland that mm. was made with Ryan Gosling. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I went to a script store mm-hmm. and I bought a copy of it on Hollywood Boulevard. Doesn't script get much store. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. I doubt it's like the yeah. colony here. Yeah. These places don't exist anymore. Yeah. And I got it. And that's when I was. Uh, so I literally started copying the way the script looked into my into Microsoft Word, which mm. is very, a lot of spacing. Yeah. And uh, I was just trying to make it look. A professional right. would be the right word, sure. and uh, and but I would say, okay, I'm gonna put my street there. I know that you know, and then I didn't understand why they kept exiting a street. It didn't make mm. sense to me. Yeah. But okay, and then, then I would see their character name, which mm-hmm. it's a whole lot of spaces to put it in the middle if you right. don't have a proper formatting. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you use these days. Yeah. And uh, but I, I thought, okay, I'll put my words, what they're saying, in my streets, and I thought, okay, I, I can copy this and. You know, and so I wrote this nutty, obsessive script that was like 150 pages, which wow. is way overshot. Yeah. In like two weeks of straight up craziness. Yeah. I put acts into it because uh-huh. for some reason in my mind, okay, it should say act, sure. which is utterly unprofessional. <laughs> I don't know why in my mind I thought things are five acts. Which yeah. It turns out three, three? is the correct number, right. and I overshot as yeah. I often do, <laughs> and I would put like act one, and mm-hmm. then which is kind of laughable. They may have thought it was clever, you know, yeah. but didn't realize. There's no one way to do Yeah, anything, well, that, right? that's definitely not yeah. the way to do it, but, you know, <laughs> at least I don't believe it is. But it worked, and I, I mean, I always would say, okay, if I give this to Trudy, she's mm. going to say, oh, no way. So I put the name of this guy that used to come into our studio a lot that wrote Dexter. Remember the show mm. Dexter? Yeah. He was the creator of Dexter. I huh. put his name on it okay. because I said, oh, if she thinks he wrote it, she'll read it, you know? Wow. And she goes, I said, oh, you know, Trudy, you know, I, we had a little time, so this guy this wrote guy this wrote thing. This. Yeah. I said, like, wow, he did it for nothing? This quick? That's <laughs> incredible. I'll read it right away. And I can only imagine how nutty it was. It's not like the movie at all. But huh. um, she, uh, she calls me up the next day. She goes, it's very interesting. It's very peculiar, but I think it's kind of good. I go, you know, I, I, I wrote it, you know. And she goes, you did it? Oh. Yeah. And, you know, she says, well, I've got a guy named Alex Francis who's a script doctor. Hmm. Um, turns out it's another blessing and she says, y- you should work with him because okay. he's going to tell you how to properly do this, but why not give it a shot? Yeah. And he threw everything I wrote straight into the garbage can. Oh, man. Uh, but he said, you do have a voice, so let's play with the voice. And he helped me sort of understand the thinking of, it, oh, well, I thought I was being professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't think anyone has to be professional. Yeah. I was so worried more about it looking professional than being good You're kind of subconscious about it yeah because mm-hmm. i was so scared you know but uh but anyway so got to write this crazy thing and then that original script that was 100 and whatever pages yeah. five acts mm-hmm. it got passed around um and 
this woman named Leslie Erdang, who I've still never met, gave it to a woman at Sundance, which, uh, not the not the film festival. Yeah, it's, the institute. It's the, it's, yeah. it's it's quite incredible. Mm-hmm. A- anybody listening to this or anybody that you know that wants to write in yeah. film or act or be a director or producer or whatever, uh, they have a thing called the Labs, which is like oh, yeah. Wonkaville mm-hmm. for filmmakers. It's next level. Yeah, I, I cannot tell you how remarkable it is. So, I had my phone number written onto it, put my real name Orlando, mm-hmm. because I was afraid that if there was a character named Ditto d- that, that yeah. and, and, and it was Ditto it would be like this idiot you know yeah. so I got a call at the office I put the office phone number uh, Elias music mm-hmm. place and from Michelle Satter who runs the labs and she's like hey you know we, we read your script and we want you to come to the labs you know wow. or would you meet us and I was like well what do you mean how much is it you know, which and she goes, it's free. I thought it was like a learning annex, yeah, kind of okay. rip off, you know. Yeah, and you had bad experiences too with that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah so yeah. why would I believe? I mean, it sounds like you can this, model like. <laughs> and this could be Bob Seaman. You know what I mean? Like I don't know, but you know, I said, what do you mean it's free? And she's like, yeah, yeah it's free. I go, well, where is it? And she goes, in Utah. I go, how the hell am I mm. going to get to Utah? We fly yeah. you there. I was like, well, I'll call you back, you know. And yeah. then I had the luck of Robert being a guy I'm talking to, so I said, hey, you know, and he goes, you better call her back. Like, that's huh. a real deal thing. Oh, wow. So I went back and got to go to the labs. And, like, the first day I was there, um, it, it's for being a writer, it's so next level. It's, mm. it's, it's an experience. I can get into the atmosphere, which is remarkable. You're yeah. living in, like, a like a teepee, literally. It's just absolutely, wow. It's just, like, you can't even imagine. It's just incredible. It's beautiful. Huh. They give you free food, uh-huh. fly you there. But they, they assigned... Um, Walter Mosley, who's one of the great writers of all time, yeah. uh, Carlos Cuaron, who wrote Ito Mama Tambien, oh, wow. and um, Frank Pearson, who wrote Cool Hand Luke and Dog Day Afternoon, as my, my three guys. Wow. And you meet one each day, and they critique your mm. script. And, you know, it's, it's just incredible, you know. And uh, I remember a great lesson there. Well, well, they also don't allow you to write while you're there, which huh. is very smart, because I'm a... I'm a, a sort of fixer, right? So if you tell me something's wrong, yeah. I'll try and fix it immediately. They're like, you're going to be here for two weeks. And when you go home, whatever resonates with you, that's what you do. Wow. And if they had give, if I could have snuck a computer in, I would have, and I would have changed it every night. Yeah. And the first day I meet Walter Mosley, and he says, okay, I read your script. He goes, you got a lot of problems with it. And uh, oh, the, the father, he's a sociopath. you hmm. got to get rid of that character. It's, it's, huh. it's, it's just going to ruin your movie. So I'm like, oh my God, you know, this is Walter Mosley. This yeah. is like, you know, required reading, runner, yeah. you know, and and book. I mean, he's next yeah. level, you yeah. know. Yeah. Then the next day, I meet uh, Frank Pearson, and he says, "Okay, look, script's a mess. You got one great character, the father. Hmm. Stick with him." And oh I'm like, man, <laughs> good thing I didn't fix that last night. <laughs> but again, it just shows how yeah. it's just subjective, and and you know, okay, they're all very smart yeah. and way more successful than I'll ever be. But <laughs> you know, this guy. That I, I, I connected more with Carlos and with um, Frank, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. and Frank is a very old school meat and potatoes type of writer. Okay. And I like that about him is because you would listen to all these. I mean, there were so many great writers there you're hanging out with and each one would get up and tell you their method in some yeah. 
oh, you know, I like to walk in the park. Sometimes I don't write for a month. And then yeah. Frank would go, oh, then he's not a goddamn writer. <laughs> you write, you get up at 8 in the morning, you have your breakfast, you, work, you write from 9 to noon, yeah. noon you have your lunch, and then you write. And if you don't, if you're a garbage man, when you get off of work at 5 p.m., that's when you, you have your dinner, and then you start writing. And if you don't, you're not a writer. So you're figuring out, like, there's not one way to, like, you're seeing all these different perspectives. Guys. Yeah. And are you, but you're, like, soaking it all in? Yeah, because because they're all doing great, right? Yeah. Um, and and it is a weird thing, art, uh-huh. right? And uh, you know, I, I I connected with Frank because I kind yeah. of feel like uh, I don't, you know, writer's block. Yeah, sure. I don't have the time for that or the finances mm. for that, so yeah. I I can't have writer's block. So I'll just write crap until something makes sense, and then I'll go back over it later. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that that worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you found your own process. Yeah. You were able to like take from these other guys what they're giving you, like the lessons and then kind of try to employ them into what you're doing. But then how does, uh, but you directed that. So how did, I mean, that seems like a whole nother animal, right? It's a can of worms. I didn't, well, you know, I had a thought in my mind that, um, well, boy, that show would be fun. And I was scared. I was scared that, oh, this is going to be terrible, you know? Mm. And, uh, I also thought, wow, I can't believe I'm hanging out with these people, you know? Yeah. Like, um, it's quite incredible. And uh, I, uh, while I was at the labs, they asked, because the, the writing lab leads right into the directing lab. Mm-hmm. And they said, are you going to direct it? And I was like, nah. But Michelle, I guess, was keen enough to know. I can be kind of shy and also, I, I, I want these things and I don't quite know how to ask for them. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, Cherry... Uh, Vanilla. Cherry Vanilla. Yeah. She, she, I remember she was getting a job working for Vangelis once, you know, the, yeah. the famous composer. Uh-huh. Right? And uh, he said to her, and he's the guy's worth, who knows? Yeah. You know, $500 million. Yeah. You know? He said, you know, and he loves Cherry. And he says, Cherry, just write in whatever your salary should be. Hmm. And she said, and just fax it to me and I'll approve it and whatever you want. Yeah. And Cherry's talk asking me how much should I ask him for and I'm the worst person I'm like I don't know twenty thousand dollars a year yeah. you know and she's like oh, I was gonna say like 15 and this other guy's there he's like tell him you want 75,000 a year you know and she's like no he goes give me the facts he wrote $75,000 a year a credit card I want my apartment paid for and a car sent it to him approved 10 minutes later <laughs> I'm like oh, I wish I had that gene you know to, to be able to ask for what you want ask for what you want it's yeah. a big thing I try to instill it in my daughter I'm not sure I'm good at it because I'm so terrible at it in life because I but I feel as much as I like to sneak into the party, I also feel like I'm not invited to the party, right? Mm. Like, oh, they're going to figure me out and kick me out of here. Oh, like impo- kind of imposter, I'm an imposter. syndrome. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and it's because I've gotten into a lot of places I don't think I, you know, not not being humble and yeah. not that any of these people sometimes are so talented, but I, I think, I can't believe I'm at this place. It's yeah. incredible. So when they asked me if I was going to direct it, yeah, I, I thought I could do it and it, I prayed that I would have the courage to ask, but I couldn't say it. But I, but then I have this other manipulative or s- deviant part of me yeah. that is like, okay, I'm gonna get them to ask me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Right. I can't ask them. And I remember, like, I would pray that Robert. I th- so Robert's the guy. He's crazy enough to say you should direct it. You know. Mm. So I would throw all these things out. Hey, Robert, you, know, you see these little weird shorts we're doing? And one yeah. day he's like, Why don't you direct this thing? You okay. know? And I said, oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you should. Just tell Trudy, you know. So Trudy calls me up and says, um, "Well, now Mr. Downey thinks you can direct this <laughs> film." 
I said, I swear I think I could do it. You know, once you open <laughs> yeah. that door, then yeah. I'm in the party, you know? Okay. It's like, I, I swear I think I could do it. I know that sounds crazy. And because we had gone down such a crazy thing, and yeah. Robert, she says, well, here's the offer I'll make you. And this is like an offer that doesn't come along much in life. Mm. And she said, Robert will heal be in a shirt you make. It has to be seven minutes long, and mm. it has to be a flavor of what you would do. And if I like it, you can have the job. Wow. And that's that's the gig of a lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's like American Idol yeah. <laughs> or, or, or Project Runway. You know, don't make a dress out of Cheerios. Good luck, you know? And I was like, oh Cheerios. my god! Except Robert Downey's the Cheerios, right? Yeah. So so uh, I got a I got that wind up camera that we had, me and Jake. Right. You know, and um, I went to a music rehearsal studio that was nine dollars an hour called Swing House, and mm. I rented three hours, twenty seven dollars. And Robert came down, and I said. Hey, just just read from the book on this thing, and he's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Don't worry, just just read," you know. Yeah. So he sits there. I'm sure he thought it was a, a goof, but uh, you know, he did it, and then filmed these kids here in the city. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my friend has a place up here called Alice's Teacup or something. Okay. Some this girl, and uh, she said, I, "I was I was putting out that anybody know any weird looking kids, any crazy kids, whatever yeah. you can get, I, I wanna." I got to do this short. Yeah. And I got my friend Antonio, who a lot of it was based on, his younger brother, to get all his friends together. Wow. And I said, okay, we're just going to go roam around. I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. And we filmed them doing weird stuff. And the actress, Jenny Slate, who oh, yeah. ends up being a pretty big actress, yeah. she showed up uh, and she's part of it. Wow. And we made this short in one day. And I brought it back. Um, and Jake in the dub room, He's got, you know, I think editing is like drumming, like you're born an yeah. editor. You may get better, but yeah. you don't learn the drums. You, you are the drums and you might get better. You know, editing okay. is like that. It's a magical thing. I don't have the hands for it, you know. And he started cutting it and we were up all night, you know, yeah. three days and, and putting in Antonio, my friend from prison, yeah. who would call his voice into it. Wow. And, and I said, it's got to be seven minutes, you know mixed in Robert reading from this book and we made this seven minute short and I thought it was pretty good and Trudy saw it and she says, oh, it's really good. And, uh, wow. And then the labs brought me back in for the director's lab. So then you're, you know, somewhat invited to the party, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. I remember being at the labs uh, and uh, <laughs> Boogie Nights was the big movie oh, at wow, the time, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, what they do at the labs is just incredible. I mean, it's just the, the director's lab is even crazier. Hmm. So the first day you get there, they give every person a script, uh, one page. Mm -hmm. it, it was seven. They bring in, uh, I think, eight people from all over the world. Yeah. And my roommate was Sterling Har Harjo, who, who has reservation oh, yeah. dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, and wow. So me and him were there and a couple other people uh, from all over the world. Yeah. Uh, maybe four people from uh -huh. America and all over and uh, and they give you the script and you shoot it you, you, you they give it to you in the morning they bring you get to bring a couple of actors uh, another guy named there um, uh, can't remember his name brought in uh, at the time Philip Seymour Hoffman Wow uh, who so to do his shorts oh, man. and each day you film another scene from your movie when it's gonna be you, know, you film a scene you shoot it. You rehearse it in the morning. Shoot it in the afternoon. Edit it and show it that night in a theater in Sundance Village. It's called. So okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and on a screen and you know in wow. the audience is like Ed Harris and Robert Redford. You yeah. Know, they're the advisors. Oh and man. It's so embarrassing because they're terrible. It's horrible, right? <sighs> and the guy who had Philip Seymour, his name is Kazuo Ono. 
Yeah. It was so freaking good. Really? Oh, my God. And I don't know how this stuff was good. My stuff was crazy. And I brought, <laughs> everybody had like Phillips. You can ask anyone you want to go, right? Yeah. And Robert was the only person I knew, and he couldn't yeah. go. Oh, um, man. So I brought this guy named Vinny Vela from New York, who was uh-huh. totally crazy. If you watch <laughs> Casino, he's the guy that blows the whole thing because he can't stop talking. He was just oh, a, man. a real New York character. Yeah. And then this great guy, Michael Wright, who's mm-hmm. an actor here, he was on Oz. Oh, he wow. Like, he talks like this. And he's yeah. totally nuts. Yeah, nuts. Yeah. I brought those guys, and that was a can of madness. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so you get to film your scene, and I remember Boogie Nights was a big film, and I'm doing this, this thing where I was imagining that we went from room to room hmm. and I'm like oh you know like in Boogie Nights the way the camera oh, followed yeah, yeah. and uh, the guy who shot Boogie Nights he's right there it's like it's like that Woody Allen movie where the guy is actually there you know Wow. and he's like oh yeah yeah you might want to f- let her walk and let the camera follow her and I'm like oh you shot Boogie Nights <laughs> uh, Robert Elswit his name is yeah. uh, so it's, it's that magical you know yeah. and like everyone around you is you know Ed Harris or whatever the mm-hmm. advisors are and they're advising you. Well, you might want to talk to the actor this way. You might, it's, it's incredible. Man, this place is awesome. It's so incredible. Yeah. And and you leave that place like with the best schooling I imagine you can hope for. And then this weird badge that 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 Hollywood suddenly thinks, oh, if you went to the labs. Yeah, I'm worthy. You're worthy. Yeah. It, it's 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 just weird, but it is a game, you know. So suddenly I got to make the movie, and uh, and boy, that was crazy. But it was really fun. And then I was like. Oh, I could do this for a while. Let's see how this works. So, like, yeah, because that movie, uh, I mean, that movie's incredible, as you know. Thanks, yeah, yeah. Um, like, great performances, yeah. too, especially, uh, you know, Channing Tatum, you work with him all the time. Yeah. Um, Shia LaBeouf, you worked uh, with him all the time. I'm mean, like, um, when, you were, um, when you were thinking about that, you shot that all in Astoria? Or where did you shoot that? Yeah, uh, I'd say almost the, the whole thing in Astoria, we went to the prison, I think, out in Jamaica, Oh yeah, and uh, and maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. But everything else in the story. Prison for that last scene. Yeah, yeah. It was a real prison too. With, so. That was Eric Roberts, Eric right? Eric Roberts, yeah. He was only in that one scene, but I know, that's the entire know, movie. But it kills me because he, that scene was much longer, and for mm. some reason, somebody that had to deal with cut it up, cut it up, and I was like, "But he's so good." But I, I love it. You know, I, I was a big fan of you know Pope of Greenwich Village. And those oh yeah. Things, so it was a big deal to see him on. Yeah, Mickey O'Rourke, right? Mickey O'Rourke. Yeah. yeah. Those guys own the world for a minute. Yeah. yeah. Did you um? Cause that character like, uh, cause Shia LaBeouf plays you. <laughs> uh, I guess that version, and then also Robert Downey. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, cause at the beginning he's like, uh, he's like, my name's Ditto. I'm I'm gonna leave everyone in this film. Right. Did you feel like that when you came uh, to L.A. coming from New York? Yeah, I mean, you know, a sense of, uh, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a homing pigeon in many ways. Yeah. You know, like I've got my friends for, for life, many right. of them, and I don't let go easily. You know, it's, it's a big deal to let go. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's just uh, abandonment issues or whatever that may be attached to me. So, so I always thought, um, yeah, I don't know. I, again, I didn't leave here because I hated New York. Yeah. I left because someone gave me a job and I had nowhere to go. So. Mm-hmm. That's the way I follow my nose, you know. So but at that point when you made uh, Guide, yeah. did you feel like, all right, now I'm a director, now I'm going to do this? Like, this is going to be my chapter now? No. Like, the life that I'm I mean, living? I thought, oh, I'd like to do this, you okay. know. Um, I snuck in, you know. I got I to gotta stay at the party and hope no one notices that I'm here, mm. you know. But, uh, but I, I didn't, you know, I think more in a, in a terms of a, maybe a, a blue collar life can mm-hmm. be a better life in the yeah. sense that, well, 
or, or I don't, I, maybe that's not true, but, but uh, I, I, I didn't have the, the, um, like the desire for white collar stability. Is that what you're talking about? Oh no, I would love the stability. Yeah. I just never had it, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I just thought, okay, I got to keep doing this because, uh, you know, I don't want to not be able to do this, you know? Yeah. So, and I know, look, there's lots of lessons to be learned about learning the power of no, mm. but I, I just can't not, I, I can't use that word. Yeah. Uh, so there's very little things that I won't engage in. You mm-hmm. know, I, I can't tell you the crazy people on Facebook that they're like, yo, you should make a movie. I killed somebody. I'm like, Dude, like maybe I shouldn't be talking to this guy. Yeah. But but uh, I'm always intrigued because yeah. I know there's some guy out there the way I've always been that's thinking, uh, you know, he must know somebody. You know, when I mm. when I used to walk dogs up in this neighborhood for a uh-huh. guy named Frank, oh, yeah. he would have me go. He, he knew that I wanted to play music, right? Yeah. And he says, hey, there's a guy in 57th Street. You need to walk his dog. He wrote oh, Dust yeah. in the Wind for Kansas, <laughs> which, first of all, that's one of the worst songs in my opinion in history. <laughs> yeah. And I doubt this guy actually wrote that song. Yeah, but, but I still, thought, right? And he says, go there to walk his dog, but bring a guitar and play it. Play yeah. the song of yours. And like a nut... I would show up at this crazy person's house yeah. that supposedly wrote Dust in the Wind and play the guitar because maybe he's going to give me an opportunity to uh-huh. do something yeah. different and not be a token booth clerk, you know? Right. And uh, so, so I thought of m- movies as, okay, I got to make this movie and it was very crazy and I'm so happy. I love that movie. I yeah. loved making it and boy, I, I would love to be able to do this. So let me just jump into this world now and as long as I can keep going, you know? So so that's what whole, whole wide world walks fucking dogs. That's what he says, right? That's a good, yeah, Anthony so, DeSando, the great yeah. actor, yeah. Yeah, he's great, Sopranos too. He's great yes, in that. Um, so then how does, because uh, the next one's fighting, right? Yeah. How did that, how did that go? Uh, that's a whole nutty, I mean, the, 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 that was um, Channing yeah. was gonna do the movie mm-hmm. and he was, not so crazy about doing it at the time. And he says, oh, you got to read this. It's mm. a movie about basketball. Okay. And, uh, and I don't want it. Don't, I don't play basketball. I said, you don't play basketball. Mm. So I met the producers and I said, you know, you could fake a French accent quicker than a dribble. Pretty yeah. tricky business. And, yeah. and they said, well, whatever he wants to do. I said, well, he wants to make a movie about fighting. And they said, <laughs> okay, make it about fighting. Change it. I said, okay. You know, so... <laughs> I got to work on the script a little, and then uh, we got to make a movie here in New York with him and Terrence Howard, who I've become great friends with, and I love And him. you grew up boxing, right? Well, or my father, father was a did. fighter, yeah. and uh, I loved it, but yeah. as my father would say, you know, you should box oranges, is his <laughs> joke. I was not very good. I did go into the Golden Gloves, and I got knocked out in, I think, 36 wow. seconds. Wow. I have the hat, so I, I got a hat out of it. And it's I, that hat? No. Oh, okay. I, that, <laughs> I the hat I had got crumbled, but now I wear oh, it man. as my badge of honor. But it lasted all of 36 seconds, but I liked it. You but know? you're, uh, but Antonio, he was a good boxer, right? He was, he was a physical specimen, yeah. you know, one of those guys that could do anything. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't work out that way. But, uh, yeah, I, w- I would have bet the house on him in anything. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but, all right, so Channing Tatum, Terrence Howard. Yeah, we made Fighting, and yeah. I, I really loved making that. We got to be on the streets in New York City and, you know, make a movie, uh, a bigger about, movie. Yeah. And, and I, I, I loved making that movie, and it was just fun. Look, the thing is, what's weird about that movie is, when I read the original script, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't love it, right? But, hey, I, I can't believe they're asking me to make a movie. I, hmm. I'll keep doing this, you know? Yeah. But uh, there was one little part in it that I misread, you know? Okay. That Harvey, who is Terrence's character, yeah. in my mind, I swear to God, I, I thought he walked through the Penta Hotel. I might have been dreaming because huh. I read late at night a lot and I fall asleep and then I sometimes yeah. dream while I'm yeah, reading. Yeah, and yeah. 
I, I maybe dreamt it, or I thought it was in the script, that Harvey, there was a scene where Harvey walked through the, through the Plaza Hotel. It sounds uh -huh. like a dream now that I say it out loud. And there was a, like a thing of bagels out, and he grabbed one and put it in his pocket. Huh. And I thought, oh, I like that guy. You know, uh -huh. like that could be kind of fun. And then I, when I met with the studio about making it, they wanted some big time rapper guy, mm. and they wanted him to drive a Hummer. And I'm like, how does he have yeah. money? How does he drive a Hummer? The yeah. guy's stealing bagels. And they're like, what do you mean he's stealing? <laughs> In my mind, he was stealing bagels. And they, I, they said, well, he could, he could be broke. You know, I said, well, he can't, how are you broke with a Hummer? Yeah, with Hummer, yeah. You know, how do you yeah. get gas? You know, I'm yeah, being yeah. really overly practical. And, 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 but I never let go of that guy that would put the bagel in his pocket. And I thought, so when I got to meet Terrence, and he was really a nice, total yeah. wacky dude. Yeah. And I, I said, I said, uh, Oh, you know, I, I said, I don't, I don't think, I think Harvey just, in my mind, I wanted to make a movie about Harvey finding this Channing Tatum being mm -hmm. like this horse that's wandering around Manhattan that's worth a lot of money yeah. and he doesn't know how to sell it. Okay. And so that was my vision of it, yeah. you know, like almost midnight cowboyish, yeah. like you're just too, you know, because I don't know, they don't make movies about people being broke anymore. Yeah. It's got to be loaded. So yeah. I thought. No more oh. ratzos. Yeah. No more ratzos. Yeah. So I, I had some fun. Of course, in the, when we first finished it, everyone had a heart attack. Like, why is Terrence acting so weird? And I thought, oh, I remember saying to Terrence, he, like, I was like thinking, oh, yeah, Terrence Howard, he's so good looking. And yeah. he's such an, like, a cool guy, you know? Yeah. Like, how does he seem just humbled or whatever, yeah. you know? And I watched the thing about the making of Midnight Cowboy where uh, Dustin Hoffman yeah. said, well, you know, there's this trick that if you take one fiftieth of your step away and shorten oh, it, wow. it takes away all your coolness. So I said to Terrence, hey, Terrence, just <laughs> try and take shorter <laughs> steps when you walk. And yeah. sure enough, it's it a worked. funny trick. And, and you just, you're kind of not cool when you shorten your steps. <laughs> Aren't you, uh, didn't you work with Dustin? Well, we're, we're, we're talking about doing something right now. So yeah. I, I got to meet him just recently for the first time. So yeah. that was yeah, pretty like, oh, my gosh, you know, these people you get to meet. You yeah. Know? So then, uh, man, speaking of that, like yeah. uh, you got you worked with Pacino. That's that's the to me the, the top of the hill. Right. Yeah. I mean, like son I, of no one. And I mean, like Carlito's Way is my yeah. favorite movie ever. I just love that movie because I think it's it's everything. Yeah. It's a beautiful love story. He, yeah. I mean, that dude yeah. is he's Al Pacino, you know, and yeah. what's incredible about him is, you know, he had like one scene where he's got like say five pages of dialogue mm -hmm. and straight and it was his 70th birthday i remember and he was doing shakespeare in the park at night wow and he's coming to do our scene in a day and he shows up and it's like you know oh my gosh you know yeah and uh he's like um okay this is where we're gonna do it so yeah he goes can we just run it once and i said of course you know because you can film it if you want you know i said okay film it he does all five pages wow like nothing and what's crazier because I'm not a stickler for script. Like huh. I, I, I mean, I love to write it, but I, you yeah. can change my words. Yeah. I'm not the mammoth, you know. Yeah. And uh, but you know, the script supervisor. So he says, I think I messed up. You know, I, I think I missed two words. And the script supervisor says he missed two words. I'm like, that's even crazy. <laughs> but why am I shocked that you know Jordan came and dunked on yeah. me? You know, but uh, he he was just a dream, oh, and man. a sweet sweet guy. And you know, he's Al Pacino, the dream of all dreams. Yeah, yeah and then Leota too. I love Ray, and Ray was a friend, yeah. you know, and it's, it's so sad, awful. man. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, he's one of the guys I, you know, you, you connect with some people, you yeah. know, some people you're just in awe, sure. you know, and, and of course, it's like, it's like making movies like a circus, you know, oh, you all yeah. hang out for mm -hmm. four or five months and you, you're talking about every 
teeth yeah. thing nonstop, and then you go off to the next circus, and then maybe I'll see you out there again. And I always hope to work with Ray again, and and it's just awful that he passed away. You worked with uh, Tracy again on that I clapper. Tracy, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tracy's a trip. Yeah. How did that story come about, by the way? Because you wrote the book. Yeah, you know, I was going to do that movie second, mm. uh, right after Saints, and I I really wanted to do that. Um, and at the time, I was going to do it with a. Uh, Oh God, the comedian who died. Um, remember Bruce. they remade the, uh, they remade uh, Bernie Mac. Oh yeah. I was gonna make a Bernie yeah. Mac, and uh, and I just had this this thought of it, and uh, and then it, it took it ended up going in and out and in and out. And Tracy's always been a friend here and there, you know, and he's Tracy Morgan, so yeah. it's always happy to give him a call. You know? But he's super, it's I think subtle, right? Like kind of in both. Yeah, you know, I don't know. There's some, you know, I don't know what it is about comedians, you know? Like, mm. it seems like, you know, when they when they can act, they're kind of special. Because, yeah. may, I don't know, that's a generalization, I guess. But I, I like him a lot, yeah. you know? I, I, uh, so, yeah, he can he can do that. And then uh, Empire State. Yeah. Uh, I love that movie. You worked with, uh, <laughs> you know, Dwayne. That was that, yeah. But I think the secret of that uh, is that Michael, Michael Ungaran. How good that is guy he? Is, yeah, he's great. It's like that scene where... Um, like Dwayne Johnson, he's kind of like checking him out. He knows that he's the guy. <laughs> and then Michael goes in this guy, this other guy's car. And he's just, it looks like he's just, um, he's totally in shock. Like he doesn't, I mean, he has this, all this money. and he's such a good actor, that yeah. guy. I love Michael. Yeah, he's, he's, I think he's on This Is Us a lot now. And he's directing oh, wow. things too. He's very, very good actor. And he's, I mean, that was a nutty movie because what's funny about that movie is yeah. it's based on this guy who robbed a bank, right? Well, robbed a a, a place where they store right. money at night right yeah. back in the 70s and this dude is bananas right yeah I, and he, they were on set the whole time right wow and you know like like he's kind of like an old greek guy right uh -huh. and and what was so funny is you know i talked to him and he's from the neighborhood i grew up in i'm yeah. very familiar you know and just funny guy because sort of like i would talk to him and i would say chris like like you you, you robbed this bank right yeah i mean oh, i didn't rob the bank i don't know really didn't rob the bank you know i said well the money disappeared. The money disappeared. That sounds better. I said, okay. <laughs> so I go, but here's what I, and I still don't quite understand this, and yeah. I'll just, I can only pass along what yeah. he told me. Yeah. As I said, so this place you're working with at alone at night, suddenly, and this, according to him and what we did with the movie is, you know, it's, it's uh, the early 80s, right? Yeah. So it's hard to totally imagine how completely low-fi even the hi-fi was, right? Yeah. This place was in the Bronx yeah. that they would collect money from, you know, late night clubs and uh -huh. strip joints that everyone's lying to start with, yeah. right? Because yeah. if they if they made five hundred thousand dollars that yeah. night, they're gonna give you two. Yeah, but, it's suspicious. You know, yeah, everybody's lying to everybody. Yeah. I, was, I was dealing with a bunch of shady people, and at three in the morning, you're pulling up into the South Bronx to this little dump that has a barbed wire fence, a dog. He said that was always sleeping. Yeah, and one camera, and he goes, and we drop off, you know. $200,000 in cash. Yeah. And he goes, oh, my job was to sit all night and look at it, you know? Uh -huh. So what do you do at nighttime when you're bored? You start looking about, well, how do I get that, right? Yeah. So, but the funny thing about that story was he says to me, I said, so you went to jail for it? Yeah. I said, he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I said, but you came out and you hid the money. And he said, yeah. yeah. I go, but how does that work? Because he goes, well, I, I did my time. Uh, double jeopardy. That was double jeopardy. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't do it. I go, no, no. I understand that, but you can't steal money, yeah. hide it, go yeah. to jail, and then it's yours. Yeah. He goes, what do you mean? I double jeopardy. And I go, <laughs> I understand. I go, I go, let me break it down. 
if I steal the Mona Lisa yeah. and I hide the Mona Lisa yeah. and I go to jail for five years for stealing mm-hmm. the Mona Lisa, I don't okay. get to hang the Mona Lisa up in my living room when I come out. He goes, <laughs> I didn't steal the Mona Lisa. I'm like, okay, you didn't steal the Mona Lisa. There we go, so, man. It's all about what you can rationalize. Exactly. So then after that, uh, you worked with Robin too, Robin Williams. Yeah. That was like a, his last movie, right? Yeah. That was kind of a dark yeah, I him. loved making that movie, and I, I, I the, uh, the guy who wrote the script was in his, he was 66 or something, 67 wow. years old, it was his first script wow. about his life um, coming out mm-hmm. in his 60s after 40 years of marriage, Man. and I just, I loved making that movie, and I loved that movie, and I loved Robin, everything, and we shot it in Nashville, and I fell in love with that city, wow. so it was just a, one of those great experiences that were followed by just unbelievable how do you it's like what's your approach with uh like working with actors like do you try to like do you try to like shape each performance or like go off the script more or like how do you do you have like a consistent way of doing things or do you kind of, do you feel like every project is different every actor is different it's a little bit of both you yeah. know for sure i mean I, I i every actor is definitely different and some are very robin funny enough was very to script like to the word wow like he doesn't mess around as much Man. as he, i mean he'll joke around a lot too yeah. as you would imagine i yeah. mean you know and it was funny because you know i keep coming up you know as you know that movie's very serious there's no very room much. for jokes yeah and him and bob odenkirk are in it so they're, yeah. they're making jokes and i would go to robin i'd be like hey you know robin you know he used to call me the no fun police. You know? <laughs> oh, here comes the fun police. You know, yeah. like, uh, and I would say, you know, you're coming home from being out all night, you know, at a motel. He goes, I've done the research, boss. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but, but, uh, but each actor is, is a different can of worms. And like, I mean, especially the ones that you work with a lot, like uh, Channing Tatum and then Shia LaBeouf on Man Down too. Yeah. I love, yeah. I loved him in that. My yeah. God. But you know, to me, it's like, I just try to, for me, I let them do it their way. Uh-huh. And I, and I, I like to, get to know him as little as much as I can in the little amount of time as he can and then oh let me let me mess with the script a little bit because like Spike Lee or Woody Allen I feel yeah. like when they cast you in a movie or Scorsese or something like, like most know, of the works already kind of well they kind of know you know what I mean mm. like yeah if you what get cast in a Woody Allen movie yeah. you're probably close to that character <laughs> oh, so yeah, yeah, if you're yeah. a real jerk you might yeah. want to take a look at yourself you know <laughs> yeah. so so I'll be like oh okay you know when we were doing Saints I remember right. I had found this kid on the train here on the subway mm-hmm. that I wanted to be he was in my short yeah and I thought oh he was imp- like I had written I wrote a character to me was impossible to love mm. and just mangled like a throwaway kid hmm. and when Channing shows up you know he's a male model from Alabama I'm like hmm. you gotta be kidding me no yeah. you know but uh, uh, Trudy was like no he's gonna be great and so I met him and I I, I really like him as a he's a good guy you know yeah. and I, I thought of uh, Mice and Men you know I thought hmm. oh he, he he could break your neck and he didn't mean it and then he'd try to put you back together oh you okay know? so so we reworked the character a little from this impossible to love guy to this guy that he, he, he wanted to love, he just didn't know how to not break your mm. neck, you know? Yeah. So, so that, that's the way I like to work with it. It'll be like, oh, you know, oh, you know, but there are times, you know, when you're working with, you know, Robin Williams or something and he just knows, okay, this yeah. is, this or Pacino. is yeah. Pacino, what are you gonna tell him, you know? But, but sometimes, you know, it's a combination and some actors are very to the word, some want to play, you know? Yeah. So. 